This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast summer session. I'm Matt. That's not Ryan. It's Jordan. Jordan, away, away. Thank you for coming. Matt, consider the coconut. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I like that. That's actually what happens in the actual song as it appears in the, in the film. Is after that line, the entire ensemble cast says, the what? The what? <laughs> uh, we are uh, so so uh, since since uh, Ryan is away, we've decided to just just uh, take the show in a different direction. You know, um, I uh, I contacted uh, contacted Jordan, our, our summer school instructor, uh, Jordan here uh, to um, uh, come join me for the TFT podcast. I suggested a number of contemporary albums that uh, he and I could cover, and Jordan said, "You know what? Why not just talk about?" Uh, the songs of Moana as a, uh, well, I don't know, as a body, as a song cycle, I suppose, as a body of work, as a work of musical theater, as a uh, set of pop songs, right? And then we added to that uh, syllabus all the songs from Frozen uh, as well. And uh, the point that that uh, that Jordan made, uh, sorry, not to put words in your mouth, Jordan, but the point that you made, uh, in case you don't remember, was that <laughs> was that those two those two the on the soundtrack albums it's mostly um it's mostly orchestral soundtrack and it's not all it's not all songs they don't have many as many songs as uh beauty and the beast or little mermaid or any of those kind of like middle middle period disney movies any of those jeffrey katzenberg period disney movies right they they are uh, they are more like films with songs than they are like musicals. So put together, those two records add up to almost an album's worth of material if you just take the the songs that the characters sing, right? Yeah, yeah. Each each of them is like a solid EP of songs, and then like you put them together, and it's an album that's kind of on the short side. <laughs> Jordan, I have a question: uh, These Disney movies are they mixtapes? <laughs> i mean no no in in, in no sense <laughs> that's an interesting question like what would what would give something mixed tapeness oh uh for that question i i refer you to the uh other 200 episodes of this this fine music podcast well no but hang on like you guys it's an album oriented podcast right so you usually talk about what makes something an album to make something a mixtape like so there's kind of two different versions of that. On the one hand, you have the thing that a lot of rappers do nowadays where like mixtapes are the things that come out that don't quite get to be full albums. Um, and it's sort of like about managing expectations and about the kind of release you do and about how much you're tracking the sales and how much you're giving away for free and so on. Mixtapes are maybe even more of a loss leader, right? But they're they're basically albums in all but the name. Um, it's sort of like how when, uh, when Brahms sat down to write a symphony, he like panicked because of Beethoven. Uh, being such a big deal in his like sort of Oedipal development and basically wrote lots of things that were effectively symphonies, but he didn't call them that because it was too much of a big deal. So that's what a mixtape can be. And in that sense, it's not that because these are clearly like official releases of some kind. And then the other thing that a mixtape can be is the kind of thing that you and I in our sort of uh, psychosexual development made for girls that we were interested in, right? Uh, back in the day. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if I was just... I- the passive partner in all of my relationships but i i believe it or not just this week i was cleaning out audio cassette tapes out of like a box of 
crap from my childhood. And uh, I found like half a dozen mixtapes that different girls had made me. Uh, well, they weren't all mixtapes. Some of them were like dubs of Rufus Rain- Wainwright albums. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, you know, I, I guess I made a mixtape or two in my time. But, um, you know, I also was the recipient of, of mixtapes. Maybe we were just super progressive out here. Yeah. Well, well, la gee da. Sounds like somebody was crushing it in middle school. (laughs) Not all of us had your, had your lustrous locks of blonde hair back in the day. That's okay. I've, I flew too close to the sun and and my hair started falling out when I was 24. Um, I was being punished because Icarus, like I, I, uh, reached higher than any man should. Yeah, yeah, but but at least you have the uh, the you know the mixtapes are the, sort of like the sh- the scattered melted feathers and wax that you're clinging to as you plummet into the Aegean, um, and <laughs> but, but yeah, th- th- those mixtapes these are not like that because those are like post consumer, right? And there's something about it being a labor of love and taking the things that are kind of circulating in your ether, which you are meant to be passively receiving as a consumer and kind of repurposing them for a person to person kind of connection or whatnot. For sure, people have used these Disney movies and their songs for building those kinds of relationships. Like I I know, I think that Matt Belinky has a DVD of like all of his favorite songs from every possible Disney movie that he used to like pull up for, uh, for, for his kids to like, to watch without having to watch the entire movie. They just had like all of the songs from Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and yada, yada, yada. Right. That's a very mixtapey kind of endeavor. And even just like, uh, singing along to these in the car or, uh, or that kind of thing is a mixtapey endeavor. But the, the films themselves are giant corporate enterprises that are meant to make money. So they can't be mixtapes in that sense. No, well, there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a good point. All right. Well, we won't, I won't, I won't rehash the argument of the whole, uh, Erica Badu, um, uh, episode of the, of this podcast but but uh i i will say that that i think mix i mean uh the post consumer style mixtape you contribute sort of two things uh one is curation and sequencing um and the other is commentary right like i got a mixtape from uh i got a mixtape from someone once where each song had a little like story or a little comment to go with it written in like bubbly girl script with you know hearts over the eyes and things like this uh and um so there is a there is kind of a dichotomy that mirrors like uh uh, uh and discours or something like that right like a uh, story and, and commentary um mm-hmm. uh, you know of a uh modernist novel or, or something like that and then i i mean i feel like the the, the there's a greater latitude of what's allowed in a uh consumer mixtape right that that is to say like it can be dubs of other songs or kind of more uh uh you know longer samples from other songs more more stuff that you didn't more material that you didn't originate where your contribution is mostly curation and sequencing it can be like remixes and then it can it can be original material but but there is a, a sort of a looser and a uh, a shaggier sense and you're absolutely right that that in no way uh are I Either of these soundtracks loose or shaggy in any respect they are extraordinarily tightly constructed painstakingly engineered artifacts 
Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, they do end up being kind of weird considered as albums, right? Because they were primarily designed to be something else. So in that sense, they have the same feeling of being an album, but not quite, right? Yeah. Uh, that a mixtape might have. Yeah, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the thing. I mean, there, there are, I don't, well, you know what? We're, we're getting a little too deep into it. I think everyone should encounter the source material first. So, um, so here, here's what to do. We sometimes talk about the, the kind of occasional uses of, of music or what what it's good for uh what what i find this music good for is for putting on uh expecting to listen to and then spontaneously dancing around my living room in a very embarrassing way that i would be mortified if anybody saw so uh i i commend that activity to you and yeah. uh encourage you to put the two song put the like the stretch from the beginning to uh well to the pop remix of the of the main single right uh from both records onto a playlist uh and and listen first i would do moana first and then uh then frozen but i don't know maybe jordan maybe your mixtape would be different than mine yeah i would go frozen first just because that way you're moving forward through time oh fair, fair enough interesting i feel like moana is um shorter uh and i don't know there's there's like uh there's like a workout recovery kind of mm-hmm. feeling feeling to it uh to me so that like you can go you can get the like the really heavy dancing out of the way with the chanting and things like this which is not only you know not only embarrassing uh but also probably offensive uh and then <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you can listen to some you know good old Nor- northern european <laughs> musical music (laughs) yeah this is really this is an interesting conversation that we should have um i I wanted to ask you like uh matt are these things musicals (laughs) all right let's have a let's let's put a pin in that question and 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 meet us back here uh, right after this word from our commercial sponsor hey matt yeah you want to build a snowman i do i do but i live in the middle of the desert in los angeles how can i do it um have you got yourself a freezer yeah i got one of them (laughs) is it like kind of shoddily constructed it's awful i got it at sears (laughs) so you have like a pretty major defrosting problem right oh it's awful yeah yeah so if you go in and sort of scrape all of the the sort of accumulated hoarfrost off of your chicken breasts that are in there (laughs) you will have yourself a pile of snow and salmonella that will last just about long enough to to build yourself a snowman out of oh my goodness i i i i I can't help myself i'm gonna i'm gonna lick these snowballs (laughs) well i i cannot as a as someone who's playing a doctor on tv i cannot really recommend that but the point is that sears terrible freezers will get you there in a way that a more quality product would simply not (laughs) the ice maker is useless because it's not hooked up to anything thanks sears (laughs) What kind of garbage freezer do you have? <laughs> and we're back. No, I just don't have a I just don't have a hookup in in my apartment kitchen for the for the water line that should go to the freezer, you know. I, I the freezer it's it's a totally fine workmanlike uh fridge that I had to buy myself because apparently in LA like the norm is that your apartment doesn't come with a refrigerator and that that was never the case uh, in any apartment I lived in on the East Coast. I don't know what your experience has been. Yeah, though that sounds that sounds like madness. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Jordan, do you have a question? 
Yeah, yeah. Are are these things musicals? I mean, obviously they are, but like, I, entertain for a minute the possibility that they are not musicals, and then elaborate. I think that that Frozen and Moana are not musicals in uh, in different ways. You know, um, the. Uh, the, the uh i think there's not enough music to make them to make them musicals and i think that the the um probably like the generic bucket that they should go in is what gets called sometimes like a play with songs uh or or you know a story a story with songs but um in even in the kind of the middle period disney the like uh little mermaid uh the ff dot um the period of Disney movies, uh, there was a sense that the score was a character and it developed over the course of, uh, it developed over the course, themes developed, there were motifs, there were things like this that developed over the course of the, uh, of the whole show. And, um, that is not, I mean, there is some repetition, but I feel like that that's not, that that's not true, that the songs function more as decoration than as uh, a sort of an intrinsic part of the method of storytelling. They're decorative in different ways at, um, uh, in, in the two different shows, uh, but in the two different films, I should say, sorry, musicals has me, has me thinking in, in, uh, in theater speak, but, um, you know, but but still, they're they're sort of they're sort of decorative rather than being integral in the way that even the music of like Aladdin is integral to it. Well, I mean, can you like uh, say what is one concrete example of the music of Aladdin being integral that you feel like uh, is, is like the check that Frozen and Moana don't cash? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's a question of the the orchestral pieces being of of them feeling. A little bit like the orchestral soundtrack is mostly using material from the songs. Do, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Does that make sense? That the that the melodic material, that the kind of the thematic material that's used in those things, like that that a whole new world um, hook comes up all the time uh, uh-huh. in in Aladdin, um, in a way that like. It would be difficult. I can't really think of. Actually, I can't really think of a melody that deserves the name from from Moana, except maybe in your. (laughs) Except maybe maybe in your welcome. Um, It's. I suppose. I suppose Frozen is a little more, but Frozen hues a little more closely to the sort of traditional Disney musical landscape, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say that um, having just watched Moana pretty recently, which is probably why I brought it up, um, the kind of the main hook, I want to say, of Moana's big song, uh, the sort of ba ba ba, those three notes essentially, how, from how far I'll go, yeah. uh, do show up as effectively like her leitmotif. Whenever she does something particularly badass in one of the action sequences, just that little snippet will uh, will play, sort of in the way that the James Bond theme will chase him around in those movies. <laughs> but uh, what, what I feel like, when you were saying that these are sort of plays with songs, um, I think that what for me makes them not musicals is how much they are action films, you know? Um, and this is something that you can, you can see even going back in the earlier Disney movies, there are musicals like up to about the halfway point, And then they turn into something else. And there's by and large, no songs near the, in like the back third of, uh, of most of these movies, um, which is like in, in a way, perhaps a little bit unfortunate because, you know, the songs are, the songs are fun, but it also, 
sort of solves the problem that musicals often have of not really having a very good way to end, right? Yeah. Uh, because you can do big action spectacular, so that's what you do do. And even with something like uh, The Little Mermaid, like there are songs pretty late in that, but it's like what? It's uh, Oh, I Love Les Poissons, right? Which is the most uh, the most disposable song on that entire soundtrack is the one that they throw in near the end just sort of to remind you that it's a musical. Huh. And it seems like in um, in Frozen and Moana, they, they made a very concrete decision not to bother with that. Right. Like after a certain point, they're like, all right, we're done with this nonsense. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to have an action film from here on out. Though, I, though, like the in in both cases there is kind of at a at a climactic moment there is a reprise that that is important right like the reprise of the um when she gives the uh when she gives the heart back to tufiti uh or in when um uh, Elsa and Anna re-encounter each other on the mountain. Hey, I read a, I read a synopsis of, of Frozen. I actually, I'm the one person in America who didn't see that film when it came out, though I heard, uh, I heard that, that, you know, you know, over and over and over. Is the piano, is the piano coming through? I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I heard that. That was, that was great. <laughs> Um, so what's your opinion as someone who has not seen Frozen of yeah. letting Um, the, I, well, I, I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, my opinion of it has to do with it as a cultural phenomenon. And so I feel like it's the, it's the anthem of like uh 12 year old girls everywhere. Mm-hmm. or eight-year-old girl i mean even like I, it's actually you know it's it's like a two-quadrant song right like preteens and teenagers both loved yeah. uh both loved let it let it go um i you know and i i feel like mm, that as a cultural moment it was i would call it like an empowerment song you know mm-hmm. um because it's sort of let it go let go of social ex- societal expectations uh and sort of be you know be the person who you are who you are destined uh to be i mean i don't know i didn't i didn't mind it i think it's i think it's effective um i think it's it's an effective uh uh song it's uh very ambitious it's not it's not something that that mere mortals should attempt at at karaoke nights or talent shows yeah uh, and they do and they do <laughs> like that last uh, uh you know that last high note is no joke not even the original singer can hit it consistently mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting um but like so musically you're kind of like eh and uh, and you feel like it's it's good that it's out there in the culture is basically your uh, your your verdict on it. Yeah, I mean it's not. It was, yes, did it did it change for you since you've seen the movie? Well, yeah. So like like anyone who didn't see Frozen right when it came out, I heard Let It Go a lot before I saw the film. Yeah, and I actually like I strongly disliked the song when I was just hearing it everywhere. Um, not because there was anything like terrible about it, but it just seemed like a little bit. Um, oddly a combination of too simple and too complex. So it has this, like this very repetitive harmonic vamp, right? Which is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, a couple of stiff drinks away from being the Paco Bell cannon. Right. Um, and then it has that. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to play the Pachelbel Canon in in minor, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, something like that, right? And then it has that one chromatically altered uh, chord. Right? It's, I think it's a flat 
three or something like that. It goes from from natural three and then like the top and bottom note of the triad slide down a half step and that's on the you know the uh the the storm rage on that one little bit of color. And I remember hearing that and thinking like ah that's such a musical theater thing to do, you know. Uh this sounds like a song that's written by somebody who has been like born and raised on Broadway and they sort of know how to do Broadway things, but it's not a sincere pop gesture and the song is really trying to be a pop song so it felt like neither fish nor fowl to me right um that's interesting i want to stick a pin in some of those things and come back to them but 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 make your point yeah and then i saw the film and in the context with the character singing it i loved the song and and at this point i i still love it um there there are for sure like things that you can point to about uh about all of the disney films and say like well this is a little bit problematic and so on um and but you know they they still wait 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 my fave is problematic yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, all of that aside, I, I really, really, really do like it. And I think that that, you know, perhaps speaks very strongly to uh, the job of making a musical that those people did. Um, that, like, once you actually see it in context and hear the characters doing it, the song improves so much. Or it might mean that I was never, like, actually paying attention to it when I just sort of heard it, and all that I needed to do was actually sit down and pay attention no, to it. I, and I, then I, like, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think the context, I think that context matters, and that, that these songs are, to a certain extent, an album is the wrong way to encounter them, because they're not meant to be played back-to-back, because there's a structure of relationships, and there's a structure of narrative narrative that you know plot and character right that there are characters i mean i you know i think i made this point on on the overthinking podcast when aristotle said ethos he didn't mean characters in the sense of dramatis personae he meant like he meant like uh itness you know like the the kind of mood or something like that um uh but but uh what we might call equality um but a quality, not equality. Aristotle was not interested in that. But the uh, not particularly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for him and his buddies. But you know, um, the the uh, right the whole the, the whole thing is that like the songs happen for characters at at certain points in a show, and and you have to kind of like the the stock um, kind of cliff notes on musicals are that like when it becomes too emotional to speak about, that's when you sing, and you have to all of those uh, those experiences those that are things that have to be experienced. They're not intellectual, you know, and that that uh, uh, that you have to kind of like I don't know see or read or watch, you know, experience. Um, the the uh, the thing in order to um, in order to kind of have the the proper context uh, for for the for the song for what it's worth I saw Fun Home on Broadway and I had heard all the songs and I thought they were great and and some of them very moving and whatnot but like j- just taken together they were astonishing with together with the the performances of the actors and and the things mm-hmm. like that they were it it was like it was this holistic uh, it was this holistic thing that that uh, just amazed me. Um, um, and so I guess I would get rather than like oh this is a, a sort of nice maybe a little anodyne pop song I I would uh, I would like it more if I watched the movie is that what you're saying? Well, I would wonder if that would be true, right? So anecdotally, for me, that made all the difference in the world, um, and. 
I'd be very interested to see if your appraisal of it changes. But, you know, that, that can be your homework. But you know, so the, let's, the, the let's idea. Stop recording. Yeah. Go watch Frozen. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and we come back with, with full beards and, and long fingernails and, and finish, the, uh, finish the podcast. No. Um, so, what exactly is a musical theater, um, like a musical theater gesture, I think is not something that we should, uh, uh, we should let pass, right? Like, there are, t- there are sort of phases in, in, in musical theater, right? There's the, the Cole Porter and Irving Berlin and, you know, that sort of Tin Pan Alley kind of phase, though Cole yeah. Porter, Cole Porter wasn't in, uh, isn't associated with Tin Pan Alley. He's classier than that. But then there was the kind of the Rogers and Hammerstein book musical. <laughs> yeah. Cole Porter was in like Silver Spoon Pan Alley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's in, it's in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> Uh, the uh, uh, the Rodgers and Hammerstein era um, with the book musical where they they become um, like Richard Rodgers was more a more a composer than a songwriter right though he wrote amazing songs um, the, those things I think like they exist as scores sort of uh, ra- rather than as like uh, uh, as a song cycle and um, then then a couple things happened like in quick succession Sondheim happened um, Stephen Schwartz happened with Godspell and Pippin especially uh, and Andrew Lloyd Webber happened and mm-hmm. then and then more recently Lin-Manuel Miranda happened so there are these right so there are these kind of different things and so you have a kind of like great american songbook phase you have a sort of high art orchestral composition that's still accessible a kind of middle brow phase right then there's a then there's this kind of fragmentation in this in the 60s and 70s as with so many other things into um like steven schwartz is almost like a country pop songwriter uh in a lot of what he writes um Sondheim is is a hardcore art music guy, and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is the schlockiest of the schlockmeisters. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's this kind of re-engagement with with pop music, uh, with LMM, and like and some of those things. So when so I feel like when you're talking about uh, going from the like going from the uh, uh, the the major three to the flat to the flat three, which sounds a, a little like this. Right in the yeah. con- in the context of that key, if that's the tonic. Totally a uh, a musical theatery move, but it's in the Andrew Lloyd Webber mode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I was I was about to say, at his best, what Andrew Lloyd Webber is contributing is like a certain kind of rock sensibility, yeah, right? Sure. Um, and and it's also very much like. Well, so here's exactly what I mean when I say like musical theater e, um, because there are all those different waves, but they're not really distinct from each other. They do have <laughs> some sort of uh, organic connections, um, and like you go back to Tin Pan Alley, right? There you have people writing in what is 
Um, although often the songs are very silly. There's a certain kind of harmonic sophistication that comes with like a jazz training that a lot of those people have, right? And to a certain degree, a like a lingering classical training, um, like you know, uh, big C classical training that that, uh, that some of them have. Uh, that you have a lot of people who are like composers, manke, who write songs to to keep themselves uh, alive. Um, and then when you sort of chase that forward, skipping over the book musical is basically just like the Tin Pan Alley style coming to maturity and fruition. Um, when you get into like the, the 60s and 70s and you get those sort of like rock shows and things like that, you will still have occasional harmonic sophistication popping up little jazz gestures and things like that and if you look at the like the score to pippin say um is it's just lousy with this stuff um and it's great but it's also very silly from a certain point of view like very kind of self-indulgent um and if you listen to it side by side with like actual funk rock from the time period, you'll hear these chord chord progressions just be like, well, that's not a thing that someone would actually do. Yeah. Right. Or listen, um, listen to the synthesizer patches on the original Broadway cast recording of merrily. We roll, uh, roll along. Like you'll it's, it's great for other reasons, but, but some of the orchestrations are, are have not stood the test of time. Yeah. And I feel like often what it is, is there's this kind of like uh, atavistic, Tin Pan Alley-ness that's coming through. So when I hear Let It Go and I hear that uh, it's it's uh, specifically when it's doing the vamp, which is kind of doing like a like, uh, what is it? Uh, one four the ba, right? What is that? One, what, five, six, four, right? What, what part of the um, song? It's just like the baseline loop. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. yeah, it's in my it's in minor, so it would be like six, five, four or something like that, right? Um, I, I don't think it is. Let it go in minor. I think oh, it's in I guess major. It, well, okay. It's uh, sure it's in major, but it starts on the minor six, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like actually, no. So I'm, I'm thinking of the chorus, not the verse. Oh, yeah, the chorus is happens, yeah, right? the chorus is in major for sure. Yeah. One, um, five, yeah, that, two, five, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and like you're you're kind of like looping around with that, right? And then when you get that little uh, flat three in there, it's it's coming in the middle of this big sort of bolus of rock harmony that you could get like you know this something that the Kingsmen or the Trogs or whatever would play this yeah. chord progression. They they don't know flat three, right? They, <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you show them a flat three, they might jump you in the parking lot, you know. Um, so like there's something very, uh, very odd about it. You know, there's, there's also something very sophisticated about it because it actually, it's approaching the four. So you kind of have like, it's a, a moment of tonicization where the four chord is getting like a flat seven, one rock, uh, sort of dominant, uh, chord applied to it. Right. So it's, uh, it's absolutely done with full intention and everything, but it's just like, it feels like a um, one of these encrustations of a musical style that rewards harmonic sophistication in a way that like big rock ballads don't. So it does sound a lot like something, you know, a lot like say Defying Gravity or something like that is another another song that will do things like this, right? But it doesn't sound like say everything else that Demi Lovato sings. Um, and it's it's interesting when they have the pop remix of Frozen that actually is the Demi Lovato song. They took out the flat three chord. 
like that little bit of harmonic sophistication. Whoever was in charge of that remix was like, nah, that's not that's not really what yeah, we that's do. right. Exactly. The other thing they do is they put the chorus right at the beginning, right? It's yeah. kind of like like okay, here's the money shot right at the <laughs> <laughs> right at the top of the movie. Like this is what you know, this is what you're here for, uh, isn't it? And like this is the you know, and then in addition to changing some lyrics and then putting in a bridge that is uh, that that really kind of drives home the empowerment message. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that takes the whole uh, takes the whole allegorical story uh, that takes the whole subtext of the movie and makes it text of the uh, <laughs> of the pop uh, of the pop single. Yeah, that that wouldn't that wouldn't fly in dance music. I don't know. How do you like that uh, the Demi Lovato thing though? How do you like it as a pop song? Um. I have to say that at this point, it bothers me that they took away that uh, <laughs> took away that flat three chord. You know, now that I've come to love it, I really cherish it. I don't want it to go anywhere. <laughs> sure, and it's also like it kind of like they flatten it. It it becomes kind of undistinguished, right? Like it's not. Uh, I, when we get to Moana, right? Like I think talking about the the uh, who is it? Alicia Cara uh, pop remix of um, How Far I'll Go. Uh, it's it's a much better groove, right? Like just as dance music, it's better. I don't know, it's better dance music, you know, than than uh, than the Let It Go single is. Though I guess it's not dance music; it's a kind of a pop, a diva pop uh, uh, sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's part of like the broader like EDM ness of all modern pop music. But yeah, d- d- diva pop single or something yeah. like that. You could definitely dance to it. Um, but that's, I mean, that's not the, uh, that's, not, I, it's maybe the poppiest song on that soundtrack, but it's, uh, you know, certainly not the, o- the only song on the soundtrack. Like, um, do you want to build a snowman? Does the, does the work that, um, where you are does in Moana, which is the kind of establishing the world, get it, getting the characters aged up into the, uh, into the story. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, so we're like we're going to just sort of march through Frozen now. Well, no, right? we don't. We don't. Have, we don't have to. I mean, I think we can do that. We can uh, uh, safely leave off the reindeers are better than people and the uh, <laughs> the the in summer um, in yeah. summer song. Well- I mean, both of those are actually kind of interesting, right? Because so if, if you're going through Frozen, uh, you start off with. Uh, I mean, the, the one that I would leave off is the Frozen Heart song they have at the beginning. That one feels very uh, sort of – it's just like local color, right? Sure. Um, you remember Fathoms Below from, uh, from The Little Mermaid? No, I didn't think so. It has the same, <laughs> it has the same location and the same, the same function. Actually, I think the uh, – it's called uh, Viewlier or Viewly um, with, uh, with Cantus, the, the like early mu- music choir. Um, mm-hmm. Is is a much better uh, introduction, and it plays under the under the credits and ends on the ends on the title card. And it's a uh, it's a Christian hymn, um, uh, a Christian hymn melody, and then some like na 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 hey na 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 hey na 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 kind of nonsense syllables. Just to, and it's not a language; it's just. They're just syllables, um, yeah. sort of, sort of being being sung and and chanted. And this is the, I mean, these are the two, though the kind of the a lot of the overt Christianness is drained out of of the Frozen movie. I'm given to understand, like these are the two kind of forces 
uh, you can think of it as like individual and society. You can think of it as like uh, private self versus public self or social role, right? Like these, uh, you know, identity, personal identity versus social role. Um, these, these are the sort of two forces that that are in the you know that are that are at war for um for Elsa anyway and that that um you know it's it's expressed in that introduction pretty economically uh in sort of a fun way Oh, that's interesting because I do understand that the like the heyana stuff is, um, although the 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 syllables may be nonsense, the vocal technique is actually like some kind of Norse, maybe Finnish uh, folk music. Yeah, actually. that's yeah, that's uh, it. And so it's a it's a folk mu- It's a like it's you know good music that stretches back to the Vikings versus the you know what I mean versus the Christian hymn. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, as so, the voice so of society. So pagan versus uh, pagan versus Christian, which something is like that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> it really is Beowulf the musical. <laughs> um, so like, so that happens. Then you have, as you say, um, do you want to build a snowman? Gets the characters to be adults. Um, the first time in forever is interesting um, because that's kind of an I want song, a, a classic musical theater thing, right? Yep. Um, and Love is an Open Door is then like the big love duet that the film has. But it's the wrong guy. Right? Yeah. So if, you, if you've read the, the plot synopsis, like he turns out to be uh, to be a jerk. If you go back to the way that it worked in um, in classical Hollywood musicals, where if two characters like sing a duet in a private room, they're understood to have had sex. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's yeah. Uh, all, the, all, the, all the more so if they dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of an interesting moment, right? And then you have Let It Go, which is like the, the focus shifts to the other sister. She becomes really the, the main character in a lot of ways for a minute. Um, Reindeers Are Better Than People is the only song that the, like, the romantic lead proper gets, right? Yeah. And it's um, it's also, it's, it's Jonathan Groff, so you've gotten some, like, heavy-duty musical theater firepower, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like you have to imagine that there's probably like a, a solid album of love songs that they gave those two characters that they were just like we don't really have a place or a time for this and maybe like maybe it's not really appropriate for the kind of guy that they're putting him out to be like a real man doesn't really sing is maybe one of the things <laughs> that they're they're doing here um but I don't know. I always feel like the the way in which the um, the bad boyfriend is sort of revealed as bad is um, is not totally satisfying, right? Like uh, you'll you'll see this when you watch the film that he really seems to be a decent guy, including in moments when there's nobody else around, uh, and then it, like when it comes out of the blue, it really comes out of the blue. So like that lets their love song still function as the love song, even though he needs to sort of be dispensed with. Um, and then you have, like, as you identified, there's this big moment, the, uh, the, like the preparation for the rumble where a couple of different musical ideas come back together. Right. right? Um, and then, then you have fixer upper, which is a totally bizarre, uh, like choral song. That's about halfway through the film. And then it's action movie from there on out. Right. right. Um, Oh, and somewhere in there, there's uh, there's in summer, which I think is interesting just because you have the cute sidekick gets a song of their own. Sure. Whereas in Moana, the cute sidekick gets, like, almost taken out of the movie altogether. I don't know. I love the chicken. 
Oh, I love the chicken too, but it has much less to do than any animal sidekick in any Disney, like you know, uh, heretofore. Yeah, it's it feels- the, the the stupidity of the chicken is is uh, is wonderful. But I feel like I feel like it has to do with the kind of um, like Moana is a foundation myth a little bit, and that that like that chicken is all of us. You know, that chicken is the human spirit. You know, that is just <laughs> completely uh, that will just find a way. You know, uh, like Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park, chicken will find a way. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the chicken has a structural role to play, but it also feels like, I mean, we're talking about these kind of, um, oh, what's the term for this? A skew form, I want to say. It's like, it's something that at one point was an integral design feature and now still exists, but only aesthetically. Yeah, it's called so a, that, like, a skew morphism. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and or um, skeuomorphism, I guess, is the is the noun is the is the concept of it, and it's like if the if a if a control on your iPhone is the shape of a dial, even though there's no dial on your iPhone, right? Like that is skeuomorphism. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like this is a this is a sort of a, a skeuomorphism of the the Disney animal sidekick. They know they need to have one, but they actually no longer need to have one, so they end up with this sort of like appendix. Uh, chicken, right? Uh, that probably, I, I think there is a draft of the script where the chicken talks and like helps them solve problems. And it's actually so dumb, kind of because they kept hating the scenes of the chicken and sort of like making it less, making it less, making it less. And then you can imagine this was like 2 a.m. after like the third pot of coffee. Someone was like, what if it's not even as smart as a regular chicken? And it never talks. (laughs) 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 And somehow that makes the film, right? And it totally works. But it's because like the the talking animal sidekick is something that people have gotten kind of annoyed with. A lot of the reviews of Frozen were like, wow, you know, what's really amazing is like you never want to punch Olaf the snowman once. Yeah. Um, and like that's that's great for Frozen, but not a good look for one of the stock Disney uh, like tropes. If generally these characters have become hated, right? Like, I, I guess I don't know. I, Abu forever, you know. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about let's talk about Moana a little bit because uh, as as you predicted, we are uh, we are amplifying. Um, which is yeah. the the name of the medieval rhetorical trope that means talk longer about the same amount of material, um, yeah. and that I feel like my like uh, just heuristically I'll say there are three musical universes in um, in Moana. One is the the sort of the authentic cultural Polynesian stuff. Uh, the other is the the Moana music, which is uh, how far I'll go, and a little bit the the marriage of those two is in We Know the Way, and then there is a there is a kind of like uh comedy pop there is like a jonathan colton or weird al yankovic uh sort of mode which is you're welcome and shiny right that um are the sort of the the male characters who are who have to do with uh with the main stories but mostly as kind of like a foil in one case and a counterexample in in the other case um mm-hmm. right like that there it's not it, that's not the main language of the that's not the main language of of the film musically it's not the one that's that's uh it's most most interested in in speaking yeah. And it's also not really the same language, right? Like, uh, Your Welcome is a very different kind of song from Shiny. Yeah. Shiny is very clearly trying to sort of sound like David Bowie, right? Is sure. uh, what everyone says about it. Your Welcome 
is a little bit interesting. I feel like You're Welcome feels more like a musical theater version of something. It is. Like, no, uh, than... You're Welcome is a musical theater song, and it has a yeah. melody, by the way. Yeah. Right? Like, that's that's the thing. Like, a lot of this, uh, like, even uh, a lot of this. Now, I, hmm, I, I don't want to knock... I don't want to knock Moana for not really having melodies proper in in what we think of as like Western music melodies. Beautiful Richard Rodgers, uh, you know, um, go go home humming them type melodies because the kind of the musical tradition that it's kind of interacting with and like being very reverential about, you know, with with. Uh, uh, native musicians, people whose idiom this this is, like one hundred percent of the time, consulted and composed and sang and and you know, um, and it's it's actually great. Like I love the chant stuff. I think it's just so it's so compelling and and uh, and so interesting. But it's not melody stuff, right? It's like yeah, it's, it's hooks. Uh, yeah. Uh, it wait. What did you say? It's hooks. It's hooks. It's little like three note, four note little hooks that are like th- that can get stuck in your head, right? Um, but it's not. Uh, they're kind of isolated. What do you mean? So, away, away. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Away, away. Yeah. <laughs> or, or in, uh, or in the consider the coconut song. There you are, right? Yeah. But I would say actually that like that's also the way that melody is constructed in like modern EDM pop. So that when you have, um, how far I'll go, that also ends up with like this little, right. Which you, you can kind of get stuck, not, not exactly stuck in your head, but the song is basically finding ways to do that over and over again. Right. Yeah, I like, mean, it's, uh, it, it's harmonically interesting, right? Because the, the, Harmonic pattern in um, in how far I'll go is and it doesn't arrive there isn't like a strong arrival back at the tonic is my, is my point right there's this kind of like unfinished thing which I suppose is appropriate to kind of like looking out at the horizon and kind of singing about how you'll never be able to fathom fathom it all uh, but until she says I am Moana. Um, that, in that, that reprise, yeah, right? in the reprise, right? Uh, when when she becomes like ready to kind of you know approach the ca- approach the cave, it's really like Moana is a real hero's journey movie to to like to a T to the like uh, what is the what is the thing um, master of two worlds at the end in that sequence where she's you know she's got she's navigating for the whole uh, for the whole community on the boats and she's like uh, jumping and swinging from rope and like tumbling down and and sticking her hand in the water and stuff she's the master of two worlds the the land world and the and the sea world like um and that like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah a shame about those orcas but yes (laughs) (laughs) um the uh yeah no she's she's setting tilikum free man uh the uh the whole you know um the whole movie kind of is is uh really shaped in this in this particular pattern and uh that's the like i it's something like the what the fine the uh, approach to the cave or the inmost sanctum or something they they all have stupid names um uh, when, <laughs> after that after that reprise where she goes i am uh i am moana uh in in the thing and and so like this is you know so i don't want to like in the uh, in the um her i want song right which it, the melody is
which like I don't know, Schenker would shit himself, right? But the the <laughs> <laughs> But it's not there's no it's you know chanty 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 chant some more and then let's chant and let's go back to the one right like uh uh you know it's not I don't know it doesn't it doesn't have a lot of the stuff that I really like in 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 musical theater melody but it is I think a good uh, I I think it is a good uh, not appropriation. What is what is the the word that I want? It refers in a way that makes sense uh, and seems appropriate to me to the to the musical language that the whole uh, that the whole movie is is trying to partake in, right? Yeah. Well, and again, I would say like there's actually sort of two languages. There's there is this sort of uh, Polynesian music which they they use very effectively and apparently very sensitively, um, meaning like they actually got people who knew what they were doing on payroll to make the music for them right um and then also kind of like a a dance pop sensibility which there i mean it's not so much um even in that elemental melodic skeleton is not where it's getting its energy but in the rhythm right so it's like da 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 right you know uh rihanna has done that song justin bieber has done that song <laughs> right and like only when only when diplo is producing him though yeah and and just like you know if you think it's easy try doing it right it's it's a, a whole art form i you said that you don't know frozen i i don't know hamilton at all would you say that this is like something that lin-manuel miranda is his stock and trade I no, well, I like um, Hamilton is is an interesting Hamilton is an interesting it has an artistic project that I think is different because Hamilton is really uh, uh, rewriting, you know, um, I, I think in the Heights is probably the one to look at because in the in the Heights is a little more ethnographic, right? Like in the Heights is about particular people at a particular time uh, that he grew up, and it's a, you know it's a, it's like the sort of the Washington Heights of his youth, right? Like, and that's um, uh, you know that that's that's what it's about and that like using and i think the choice of him is not accidental because he is a, he's a kind of uh, in that first musical anyway he was a kind of anthropologist of the of the sort of musical tradition of of a group of people and sort of was able to kind of enter into that imaginatively and shape it in a way that serves a narrative and i, I you know i i feel like that that's his uh that's his main contribution here and it's funny you said you uh, told me the factoid before that that he was brought on for this before Hamilton blew up huge. Um, Hamilton was kicking around before it blew up huge, like actually a couple of years before it blew up huge. But like even just on the evidence, I think of In the Heights, there's a, a, you know which was a Tony winning uh, musical. Um, even on the evidence of that, that I, I feel like that's the the DNA of of you know of what he's what he's doing here. The thing I will say with Hamilton is that man does he love words like man does he mm-hmm. love jamming as many of them as uh as he can into that uh, uh into like whatever measure of time is allotted to him for a verse and a chorus like when the grandmother sings uh in the uh in the village song in the in where you are um it it's like it's like oh god let granny get a breath you know let let her uh uh, you know, let her like take a breath and, and do this. And a, a little bit like the, um, it's almost like the, the lyrics or at least the verse is the least successful part of the 
pop remix of um, How Far I'll Go because the the lyrics, you know, I've been staring at the something, the water, something, something. It's like, let it, you know, it's like, ooh, let some of those, let some of those words breathe. It doesn't help that they take it a little faster, I think. Um for this sort of the the dance pop remix it's um mm-hmm. you know uh but but that's the to me that's the sort of the the uh, hamilton hamilton thing hamilton thing here like here's mm-hmm. uh, you know hamilton is is like a lot of uh, the the hip hop of his youth, like the '90s hip hop and and R and B, you know, and and to a certain extent, but and and the the interesting thing is that it's a mashup, right? Like um, of of that, but I, I suppose it is again, um, though it's not entirely that. Uh, it, it is again kind of like a, a a snapshot of a time and a place in music, right? That's interesting. So it'll be really interesting to continue to watch his career. I mean, provided he bothers to ever do anything again, because for sure he could not if he wanted not yeah, to. Yeah, di- Diana, um, right? Yeah, right. Um, like, it, it seems as though he has this facility with, like, exploring a particular sound and blowing it up to musical length, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's it feels much less classic Broadway than what, uh, what like, the... Um, Oh, who are the people behind Frozen? I, I know their names well, and I'm just blanking on it. Um, who the the the, the, the songwriter? Oh, uh, the the Robert Lopez and and Kristen Anderson Lopez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they feel much more classic Broadway, right? Like clearly, sure. that that's the music of their youth, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and there's some like some really wonderful things that they do in that. So like, I feel like there's another. In a way, that flat three chord in uh, in Let It Go is one. There's also this great moment in For the First Time in Forever where, like, the verse of that is so hyperactive and fast. And then when you get to the chorus, everything slows down without, like, actually slowing down, right? The tempo doesn't change. But, like, the the hypermeter changes and the arrangement changes. You get this, like breath for a moment which feels like broadway song craft at like a very high level right and again doesn't feel like something you'd get in a modern pop song sure um but you know this isn't saying that they're they're better just that they're more like what i think musicals are like whereas uh you know as evidenced by the success of Hamilton, maybe Lin Manuel Miranda is more like what musicals are actually like right now. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. I mean, the, the, Hamilton is a strong misreading of the of a couple traditions, right? Like there are going to be a lot of bad Hamilton knockoffs uh, in in the marketplace, just because that's how you know that's how the marketplace works, and that's how artistic progress works. If you believe the uh, anxiety of influence model, where you know there there will be a lengthy uh, lengthy period of reaction to the you know to the kind of the the strong work there i mean there are a couple it's it's always been the case that like broadway you know the songs of broadway used to be the pop songs right like and and you would buy the sheet music and play them on your spinet piano you know uh in the parlor <laughs> after dinner For sure. like that you know this was the sort of the musical the musical entertainment and i feel like there is a certain amount of anxiety in music theater songwriting about um about that time and kind of reclaiming or getting back to that uh that primacy of of you know being the pop music or at least kind of being in the mix with the pop music and yet most like pop 
musicals or you know the rock and roll shows i don't know the the jesus christ superstar isn't quite there you know what i mean like uh uh maybe tommy was a little more but like that that was kind of a different thing and like one or two songs from hair right age of aquarius like actually gets played sometimes sure yeah on oldies radio right and and so that that this is the thing that that everyone tries to do one actually one example that's really good uh there was a show uh called taboo that was essentially a fictionalized version of boy george's life uh with music by boy by boy george and that was an actual pop music musical and they were actual pop songs written by boy george um not sort of musical theater songs uh you know with with kind of pop moments um in them just a, just a couple i mean robert lopez is uh you know for, uh, avenue q and the book of mormon he worked with trey parker and matt stone on the on the book of mormon so he has uh, and the book of mormon if anything is an even more loving pastiche of the the uh, hardcore musical theater um tradition uh yeah. and like each each song is a parody of a particular you know what i mean a particular uh trope or uh, uh you know successful work a lot of it the lion king i guess um <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean like that seems to be his stock and trade almost and it's a uh a trick that he does in a lot of different ways because there is a very rich heritage that he's drawing on but like he clearly knows and loves the tradition and knows how to set it just slightly on its ear. Uh, in a way, Frozen is probably the most straightforward musical that he's ever been involved with, right? Yes, yeah, so and even far. there, uh, even there, uh, in summer is like that feels like uh, almost a sop to, to his uh, his like prior interests. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't know the 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 Moana stuff. The Moana stuff is great. I, I like. Um, I mean, it it is interesting that like the I don't know the 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 men in Moana are sort of are sort of dense um, figures, and they're they're sort of uh, uh, secondary to the real action that's happening and uh they don't they don't sing in the musical style right like the rock sings a musical song uh uh Jermaine clement from from flight of the concord sings the david bowie song and um uh and moana's dad sings the kind of doop 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 sings consider the coconut you know yeah. and 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 none of those none of those three things are really where uh where the the movie's heart um musically is i don't know i'm i'm actually reevaluating my my opinion because this is this is story being told through you know through musical style and through the progression well not exactly the progression but through the exposition <laughs> of an idea uh you know exhibited exhibited in, in music throughout the whole uh, throughout at least let's say the first two thirds of uh of the movie right yeah and i think there's something kind of interesting um about the way that the songs relate to each other, because they do feel very actually, um, in both of the shows, very tightly linked. Like in Moana, um, the hang on, let me pull up that track listing. Um, the uh, Where You Are, the Consider the Coconut song, right, is like that is her father saying, like, this is the kind of person that you need to be. This is our sort of static society, right? So it's like a an image of a culture and the place of the individual within it. Um, and I do think it's really interesting, like a, a sort of 
a nice, fresh feeling take on it that Moana doesn't chafe that hard against it. Like it, within the confines of that song, she's like, "Yes, I am 100% on board with this. I'm going to stay on the island forever." Right? Um, and she like makes her peace with that. And then she has her kind of like individual song, which which is, comes right after it. How far I'll go, right? So there's this interesting like pairing of society versus individuality. And then like you get the we know the way is an alternate version of what society could look like. Yeah. So that sort of like pairs back to where you are. Those are probably the two that are the most of a piece music right um but they're they're very different kind of social visions so they make an interesting contrast right um and then i would say that like you're welcome and shiny although they're very musically different they kind of work as another uh set pair right they're they're both songs about like how awesome a particular person is but it's a way of being awesome by relating exclusively to yourself or a way of being awesome by relating exclusively to others right which is like being held up i feel like almost as a a model of masculinity right those are like two different two different versions of it um, whereas exactly what the model of femininity is that Moana is meant to embody is like complicated and worked out not entirely within the music, but is almost separate from like the way that, that those two sort of big, dense guys are like working out their guyishness. Sure. I mean, the, the, it happens in the, it happens in the lyric. I mean, I feel like, uh, not to relitigate the entire Moana podcast that we did on, on overthinking it, but, but I feel like the, the model of femininity in Moana is based on recognition, right? And like the, the big, moment being when um, when Moana realizes that the evil lava monster is actually the good green goddess, right? Like, that that, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that that is actually what is, um, yeah, and, you know, and the, the idea that there is a, um, you know, there's a sort of mm, intrinsic self that, that she can recognize uh, in, in the way that the grandmother rec- recognizes the, in, the kind of the intrinsic aspects of her character uh, that, you know, assert themselves no matter what in, in, even though she tries to like go get with the, get with the program um, and the thing. And then uh, the, the, um, the, and the key moment for that is in the reprise when she says, and the call isn't out there at all, it's inside me, right? Where it's this kind of, uh, it's this kind of moment of recognition. Uh, it's this sort of moment of recognition of self. Um, and that's the song that ends, I am, I am Moana. I am Moana, yeah. sure, right. Which is like, it does feel like an attempt to, to put a cap on a song which is basically as a lot of like as a lot of modern pop is is basically circular and could yeah, sort of go on forever yeah right? it's just a vamp and it could yeah exactly it could go on um and then and then like they they raise the stakes on that in the reprise by like making each verse uh go up a step right like it modulates up yeah. uh as the intensity and and the kind of the tension uh the tension builds so thank god they they resolved to the tonic or else you know toddlers everywhere would would scream and cry yeah, yeah, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, she does. She is singing to the goddess. It, it's like it's really a a little bit of of art music. It's like a sandaimi kind of moment, right? Because yeah. she's not singing a song, but she is still singing there at the end when she she gives the heart back and so on. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, while we're relitigating that entire podcast, that actually the most concrete feeling that I can get about what uh what the film is saying about masculinity and femininity is 
a clear sense of like what could go wrong for either of those like the the problem for for the female characters is that somebody might constrain them in some way like there's something that they do naturally which they're being forced not to do by basically the men that are around them right um and then they, they need to like break free of that. Whereas the problem for the male characters is that they might be rejected in some sense. Yeah, right. So like, well, sure. It's the, it's the old, uh, it's the kind of the wry joke, uh, that, that you hear a lot in progressive circles these days, right? Like men are afraid that women are going to laugh at them. Women are afraid that men are going to kill them. Uh, and that's, you know, right. Like the, the either kill their spirit in terms of taking, ta- you know, uh, confining them to an Island or else like literally steal their heart, you know, and mm-hmm. turn them turn them into uh, turn them into an evil uh, an evil lava monster. I mean, the the interesting uh, the interesting thing in Mo- Moana is that the the sort of the female spirit is the is the kind of venturing out um, you know seagoing uh, spirit, and the 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 kind of the male characters like uh, uh, Maui is so insecure and just needs this adulation all the time. He's you know he's so fragile uh, in his self esteem, and Dad also right kind of. Needs needs like is is a little he's the chief and like he he knows his place but like a step slightly outside of the line and he's entirely befuddled so he is in need of a of a uh sort of a great deal of of reassurance um reassurance as well and the if you look at the like the the mother's job uh she's not really a character but she's animated well because her job is there is to stand there and look a little a little worried that like dad's coming on a little strong and uh, and <laughs> yeah. and grandma's the one uh, and grandma's the one who actually sort of who actually sort of punctures the all the the you know solemnity and bombast of of consider the coconut you know yeah <laughs> I mean you could <laughs> the solemnity of that sure sure um, whereas so like so that's like what what's going on in Moana and I feel like there's like a an ideological structure that's being played out with those different songs going back and forth right yeah. um, and then. You know, just to to before we leave it entirely, uh, the the giant crab Tamatoa does fit into that because he's like the guy who has cut everything off and is just making a giant shell for himself, right? Like that that's the most toxic version of masculinity within the version within the world of the film. Sure, is the guy who stops relating to other people at all. Yeah. Um, but going back to Frozen, there, like the songs there add up to a to something about. Uh, love and romance and family where what you're told actually (laughs) is kind of funny is that like um, actually love as we experience romantic love is like dangerous and toxic and dumb you should let your family pick the people that you're going to date Ideally, you should have a family relationship without having any kind of romance at all. Right? <laughs> uh, that, like, the sort of the, the happy ending of it is for uh, Elsa to get converted into a mother without actually having sex. <laughs> um, sure, uh, but there's, the, uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Like, it's a different. I feel like they have different projects artistically, right? Like I think I feel like Moana is is more a statement about human nature and about like a culture and its values. Um, yeah. Whereas Frozen is about like the the romantic trials and tribulations of this tiny group of people. Yeah, uh, and it's a right, and it's also about sort of it's about female adolescence, right? In in 
in a certain in a way that Moana really isn't. Right? There's no there's no Moana. There's no like suitor for for Moana. You know? And if she, if she's well, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, you there are things going on in female adolescence other than boys. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think that's the point of Frozen is that like the real the real important relationship is the sisterhood, right? Like is the mm-hmm. is this sort of bond uh, is this sort of bond between the two sisters and in the ways that that is um that that order is restored rightness is restored when uh rightness is restored when um they can kind of be reconnected to one another mm-hmm. right? yeah, yeah yeah do, do you yeah. see what i'm saying yeah i mean yeah. So i sorry i didn't mean to make the i didn't mean yeah. to me uh, to to i didn't mean to advance the argument that it was about romance at all quite the quite the opposite is is what i think yeah, but but it is still even though it's not about romance, it's about like people's emotional lives, right? Sure. And like your your sort of like your family unit or your close friends and the like the psychodrama of all of that. Uh, whereas Moana is much more about like it's it's a public story, right? It's about uh, what is your role in society, what is your role in the world. Uh, like there is a a relationship between Moana and Maui that the film is charting, but it's not a particularly intense relationship by the standards of like. Like, you know, uh, of, say, Aladdin and Jasmine or Anna and Elsa or, you know, uh, like Timon and Pumbaa or <laughs> actually The Lion King might be like a, a film that is fairly close to Moana and like, yeah, what sure. it's really about, yeah, that, right? Right. Like that. Yeah. That kind of Maui is actually the animal sidekick in the movie a little bit, <laughs> right? Um, to a degree. Although, I mean, he's too much like both a picture of like, you know, strapping masculinity and animated as a giant baby. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> but well, he's been on an island for years and years and years. He hasn't had his Bowflex, you know? He hasn't been able to... <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with his abs. Like, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a big guy, but he's, he's in a much better shape than I am. He only looks fat by comparison to The Rock, right? Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. I, well, I mean, we all look fat by comparison to The yeah, Rock. That's yeah. no, it's it's not, a, not a standard that anyone can be meaningfully yeah, judged yeah, by. No one, should, no one should fault us for that. Um, all right, I think it's, uh, I think it's time to... Uh, uh, to away away sail this uh, podcast off into the horizon. Uh, thank you very much, Jordan, and thank you for uh, t- for suggesting the topic. I think it was an interesting. Uh, I think it was an interesting discussion, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we stopped our discussion of pop music to have uh, this discussion of wannabe pop music in musical theater. <laughs> you know, uh, the Frozen soundtrack did hit the Billboard number one, didn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that, I, I, mean, I think. I think maybe displacing Beyonce for like. <laughs> For a week or two, so so let's uh, let's not get it twisted. This yeah. sold some sold some units. Wow, Elsa with the good hair. Um, let's uh, all right. Let's let's leave it there. Uh, summer uh, summer session of the TFT podcast continues next week uh, with another surprising uh, another special guest and another surprising episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that. It will be published on the same delayed schedule uh, as this one was. Uh, but then back to that, we will be uh, we will be back. Um, I you know we don't like to call our shots, but after these surprise summer episode we're probably going to talk about Chaim and then uh, pivot back to um, pivot back to the 90s where we will probably do uh, Soundgarden uh, now more than ever so uh, you know that's a, that's an incredible syllabus for the next couple of weeks uh, keep it tuned to the TFT podcast and keep it real <laughs>